You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Is there life after death? And how, how, can, we be, how can we be sure? Yeah, I love to hear that uh, resounding uh, statement from we as Christians. Of, of course there's life after death, but that was the question that someone asked Stephen Hawking recently, if you've read in Sydney Morning Herald. And his response was, I've lived with the prospect of an early death for the last 49 years. I'm not afraid of death, but I'm in no hurry to die. I have so much I want to do first, he told the newspaper. I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There's no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Uh, For the author of A Brief History of Time, that's Stephen Hawking, the scientist, uh, that's exactly what it was, A Brief History of Time, because... Uh, he, he obviously hasn't gone back to uh, the fact in history that a man who uh, lived and breathed and walked and talked uh, died and rose again and lived and breathed and walked and talked and was resurrected. You see, uh, he forgot the fact that sticks out of history's landscape, like the big prawn or the big banana, it's the fact of the resurrection. The resurrection. Why is it so important? You know, that, that could be... That's the first question we grapple with. Did it, did it really happen? And that in itself is a whole other sermon tonight. But if it didn't, then Stephen is going to have to come up with all these uh, reasoning with a pretty good reason for the birth of the church. Or he's got to come up with a reason for the fact that Paul says in, in Corinthians that over 500 people witnessed the resurrected Jesus at one time. Uh, he's got to come up with the reasoning as to uh, why uh, this concept of a bodily resurrected Jesus was not in the minds of the Greeks. It certainly wasn't the way that the Jews talked about it. And the way that it was recorded uh, it came from such a simplistic eyewitness views. There'd have to be some pretty good reasoning to say that it didn't happen. And so in that sense, Stephen, the burden of proof lies on you. You see, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you've got to accept all he said, right? If, if Jesus rose from the dead, then what he said is true. And in this passage that we're going to read from tonight, then uh, what he says is that there's life after death. All right, He says, oh, I, not only that there is a resurrection, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. You know, the resurrection of Jesus shows us that there's a, dif- there's a difference between this uh, physical life and eternal life. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that there's a higher and more powerful form of life and that we're not computers. This to be switched off one day. But up, uh, up to that point, hum- humanity, history, and you know different. You know, it's one thing, to, it's one thing to, for us to go and defend the historical accuracy of the resurrection. That's not what I'm going to do tonight. You see, what I want to speak in tonight is uh, what, is a, what, what does the resurrection do for the link between death and hope? Is there life after death? And the answer is yes in the resurrection. We're going to read from John's Gospel, chapter 11. It's the story, you might have heard it well, about a good friend of Jesus himself, Lazarus. We're going to read from verse 17 onwards. To bring you up to speed, Jesus says to his disciples, our friend Lazarus, he's fallen asleep. I'm going down there to wake him up. And then it says in verse 17 onwards, on on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss 
of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, if you had have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know, he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside and, the te- and said, The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they went and followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and in spirit and troubled. He said, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? You're going home to die. Uh, That was uh, something that uh, apparently a lady had heard from a nurse and she was absolutely heartbroken. Uh, She was shattered. Her Her face went almost pale. I'm going home to die. Uh, until she realised that uh, the lady just had a broad Australian accent and meant, you're going home today. Now, in the midst of that, the reaction when she's thinking through that devastation totally shattered, uh, it's a reaction that maybe we would have felt. (laughs) Something we would have had to come to grips with because death is something that we all face. That's what they were facing here Uh, In the death of Lazarus, a good friend, a brother. And Before we get into that, there were themes running all through this story. Danger, timing, life, death. They're the themes of life. It's a way that John sets up this story. And when we look at chapter 10, we see that Jesus was at Bethany beyond the Jordan. There was actually two Bethanies in this story here. And Jesus is at the Bethany beyond the Jordan. And we find that Lazarus is sick in Bethany. And the sisters sent a message out to Jesus and to Jesus to the Bethany beyond. And he's from the Bethany beyond, called back to the Bethany near Jerusalem. And yet they're totally different. The Bethany beyond is one of a refuge. The Bethany beyond is one of safety. The Bethany beyond is one of peace. And yet the Bethany near in Jerusalem, it's not a haven. It's one of hostility. You see, the word on the street is that the Jews want to kill Jesus. And they want to get him. They want to arrest him. And yet the Bethany beyond the Jordan is a place of belief, it says. And many people came to him. It says, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. Jesus had been performing miracles. There was belief out there, but the be- out at the Bethany beyond. But the Bethany near, there was battering. There was bruising awaiting Jesus. That's why his disciples said, we can't be going there. And, and Jesus says, come, you, you, you're, going to see, you're going to see God glorified in what's going to happen at the Bethany near. The Bethany near, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to pick up stones. They were going to seize him. 
to leave Bethany, the place beyond safety refuge for the Bethany near, to the dangerous place. Jesus risking his life so a friend can live. Aren't we already starting to see the themes of the bigger story? And the puzzling bit in all of this is that he waits for two days. He waits for two days. And Jesus gives us a glimpse of the reasons. Verse 4, he says, sickness, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory. And so that God's Son may be glorified through it. You know what Jesus is doing? He's, he's waiting for orders. And Jesus goes from the Bethany near to the, the, the Bethany beyond to the Bethany near. And what we'll see tonight is we'll see three things that happen in this incredible counter between Jesus and a grieving and a mourning sister. We see the pain of death. We're going to see the promise of life. And we're going to see the pattern of resurrection. And the pain of death is something that Martha was facing. Martha was facing a pain that inevitably all of us are going to have to face. It was, the, it, was, it was death. And in verse 22, we see that on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. And Mary stayed at home. And Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. You see, John bothers to tell us that Jesus arrived there four days late. Four days was really significant because in Jewish times, if someone had died, there was Jewish superstition and belief that the body would remain in the tomb and that the soul of the body would remain, would remain above the body in the tomb for three days. But in the fourth day, it begins to decompose. You see, the fourth day, the fourth day is where we see the link between death and hope. The fourth day is where hope finally dies. And it's on the fourth day that Jesus comes down. It's, it's the fourth day, a day of mourning, and the day where mourning and grief reach their pinnacle. It's on the fourth day that hope has died because now Lazarus is really gone. And we can feel this pain in Martha. She runs out to meet him and says, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. You know, and the funny thing is that once her words are both an affirmation of who Jesus is, right? Lord, Lord. But it's also a venting of anger. Maybe something you can relate to if you've been through grief. Lord, if, if, if only you just had saved my, my, my brother. Lord, if you'd only kept my son from falling off the cliff. Lord, if you'd only healed my husband. Lord, if you'd only delivered my mother from sickness. Lord, we know the words well. You know, the, the, the funny thing is that Martha's words affirm Jesus' power, but they also reflect the incredible disappointment when we're faced with death. The disappointment that Jesus has not chosen to exercise his power on her, her behalf. Martha's hurt and she's angry, right? And it's something that we might feel. Something that, that, that we might feel when we're facing that. She, she knew how long it took. She knew how long it took to get to the Bethany beyond. It took two days. She'd sent messages out there. She'd given him ample time and she's thinking, Why, Lord Jesus, have you not come earlier? earlier? And so Jesus hears his desperate plea for help. He hears this cry for help. And it shows us that sometimes, sometimes, God demonstrates his love for us by delay. That's the mystery we were talking about last week in suffering. Now, look, some of you aren't parents yet. We've got a few that are going to be parents soon. And you're going to discover that when you've got a one-year-old or a two-year-old, like I see some of the kids in, in kids' church, then they, they just operate in one dimension. Now. 
I want it now. I want it. I want it. No, I want it now. I want it now. And you see, I just want this lesser blessing now. So I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to hold hold off. I want it. I want it all here. Just give it to me. I can't wait. I can't. Now a lot of people operate spiritually that way. A lot of people, uh, all we want is for God to do something for us now. And 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 we look. We still struggle with that that uh, the issues in this world of decay and death and suffering. In all these mysteries of evil that we've been talking about, that sometimes God demonstrates his love in strange delays. That's what happened in this story. And maybe that's why in the face of death there are lots of different conflicting feelings. Denial. This can't be happening. Depression. Attempts to bargain. Lord, if, if only... Look, if only... Uh. And of course, anger. Why? 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 You know, where I get comfort out of this passage is what it's showing us is that it's actually normal to feel that way. It's normal to feel that way because death is a horrendous thing. It's normal to feel that way because the Bible says death is our enemy. And so, of course, there's going to be anger. Why shouldn't there be anger? You know, if we fast forward to verse 33 of this passage a bit more briefly, we see that Jesus' emotions are no different. He, he goes to the tomb. Mary says that the same thing that Martha has said to Jesus. She falls at his feet. He, she says, Lord, if you'd only been here, he's trying to console her. And she, she uh, now uses a, John now uses a word um, to describe the way that she weeps and that she wails. She cries out loudly without restraint, the sort of way that you see Middle Eastern people grieving and crying out loud lots of hands plenty of action this is a physical thing for them and amongst the wailing we see an incredible contrast we see that jesus is outraged he's not weeping yet he is outraged why because they they tell in the story it says he was deeply disturbed and the funny thing here is that the word that is used here is the word that's used mostly um of, of a horse a horse when it gets trapped, a horse when it's up against a fence, you know, it raises its paws and it snorts in the air and it goes, <laughs> and it always conveys this sense of anger. He, he was agitated and he was angry at the wailing. Why was he angry? Why was he angry? It's because death was not part of the Creator's plan. And what we see is that death is a result of, the, of human sin in the garden. At the beginning, when the world was as it was meant to be, God, you know, God had a plan. Death was not part of it. And there was a, a way that God had warned our first parents that if you want to reject God and live without God and do life without God, then it would result immediately in, in dying, Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And so here's the, here's, the, uh, here's the amazing thing. Jesus is standing in the midst of devastation, mourning and grief and wailing. And he's not crying yet. He's looking at, at God's good creation and he is angry. He's angry at death. He's angry at the one who's behind death, at him who has the power of death and has come into this world to destroy it. And in one of the most moving scenes that you could ever see, we see the son of God. God, the creator God incarnate in the very depths of human emotion and human grief and human wailing. And you see him in there and he's not crying. He is angry and he's saying, <coughs> this is not meant to be. Death is a horrible thing. 
Which is why we see it's holy and it's right to express and feel anger at death. God, God, God feels that. Why? Because death is an ugly intrusion into his good creation. Death is an ugly intrusion into his world. God intends you and I to have life and life for the full, to the full. That's the way he meant it to be. But day by day, Paul said it last week in the verse we were talking about, the way that, the, the way that death is always at work in us. Decay is always at work in us. And that is a great problem of life. Martha's pain is our pain. Not just that the, the presence of a, a deeply loved one is gone, but that we've got no way to get back to how it was supposed to be. Life and life to the full. Death, I don't know guys, death in our, in our lives looks like it's winning, right? Death looks like it's winning. That's the pain of death, but we also see the promise of life. Death looks like it's winning, but not for long. You see, in the midst of the real pain, Jesus then makes his real great promise. He says, first of all, he says to Mary in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Now, what's really funny about this is he, he's gently reminding her of the general hope in the resur resurrection at the end of time. That was something that uh, the Jewish people believed in. There was Pharisees and Sadducees. And see, the Pharisees uh, believed in life after death in, the, in, in some form of you know, resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in life after death, and that's why they were sad, you see. Hmm. That joke number 35. <laughs> so there was a long-running debate between them about life after death. You see, here's the thing. Here's the problem with it is that Martha's reaction was showing us that, that, that just a hope in the general resurrection, just in, a hope in just the, the general concept of life after death never really brought her any comfort in the midst of her immediate pain. Oh, yeah, he's going to rise again. He's, he's going to rise again. And, and see, for some of us, Jesus' words could sound as cliched as ours today. Oh, they've gone to a better place. They're, 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 at, they're at peace now. You know, isn't it funny that even people in the non-Christian world will say those sorts of words in order to bring some form of comfort to the pain of death? And yet Jesus speaks directly into the pain of the present. He says in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those that believe in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You know what he's saying? That not, not that there is a, a, a resurrection after the life, but he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. There is just not some general hope out there, but I'm it. What does he mean by that? It sounds a bit cryptic. I am the resurrection in the life. Now, I've used this before. In the 1960s, there was a, a phenomenon that swept the world out of Louisville and Kentucky. I've been there outside the building. Three letters uh, swept the world in restaurants right around from America, from Louisville out to the other states and right around the world. Three letters that are etched into our minds, particularly on a Sunday night if we haven't eaten. KFC. And, and there was a time in which KFC was so prolific, they had a man at the head of it. He had these funny glasses and a little beard. It was Colonel Sanders. And you see, he was, he was so attached to the concept of KFC and all that embodied, the, the, the chicken sprinkling on the chips that I love, the Zinger burgers, uh, every aspect of the restaurants and what that looked like. There was, he, he was so much the face of that that he could encapsulate all of that and would be fair to say that uh, I am the KFC. And there's a way in which Colonel Sanders could say, I am the KFC, everything that, that, that he embodied KFC embodied, and that's what Jesus is saying in that sense. He's not saying I'm KFC. He's saying I'm the resurrection and the life. And what he's talking about is actually two types of resurrection that happen in our life. He says, though we're dead, past tense. And what it means, you know, is, is that 
that, that though he died, yet in the future he will live. You know, firstly, what Jesus is saying is that when you die, you will not stay dead. The computer will not switch off. You will not stay dead. You'll come back to life and you'll get a new body. That was what was so radically different about the Jewish notion uh, of, of or the, the, the early disciples' first notion of the resurrection is that you will, you will get a body. Greeks didn't think that because matter was a bad thing and the best thing you could do was just to float out of here, off into the clouds and heaven. <laughs> he's saying you'll get a body. So what we see is that there's a resurrection at the end of the age, a life after death. And therefore he's talking this way, he's saying when you die... The Bible says you're going to go into the immediate presence of God when you believe in him. And unlike pagan and Greek and Eastern philosophies and religions, Christians don't envisage a bodiless eternity. And that's what we've been saying. Christians don't believe that we're going to float off onto clouds and play harps and read a magazine if it gets a bit boring. God created the body and the soul and he redeemed the body and the soul. And Jesus is saying the, the same thing. He's got a job to do and that's what he's going to do. And so there is a life after this death. And, on the, uh, and so what he's saying there is that I am that life. And, and, and this is what gives meaning to I am the resurrection of life. Jesus says, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now what he's talking about is, is a totally different kind of life here. Not talking about how your body's going to get renewed and resurrected. He's, he, he, in the second part, he's also talking about um, a, a, a different sort of life, a different kind of life that once it starts, it's never going to go out. He's talking about eternal life. He's saying that there's a spiritual resurrection that actually, it's not going to happen in the future, it happens now. And he's saying when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you believe in me, the Son of, the Son of God is going to change you from the inside out. It's, it's, it's a new birth. You were changed from one degree of splendor to the, to, to the next until that moment of physical death is going to catapult you in, into a realization of all that he has meant you to be, into a glory that is just going to absolutely blow your mind, burning with his joy and his energy and his purity and his perfection. There is a spiritual resurrection, a kind of life that starts now. And what it means is that eternity doesn't start at the grave. Eternity starts here. Eternity doesn't start at the grave. It starts in the human heart when you believe into Jesus Christ. And so the linking of resurrection in life is what points to the heart of, 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 of Jesus' words in John's first or fourth gospel here. In, in the last day, which Martha's referring to, God's going to... God's going to give a whole new existence like we've talked before. In the last days, God, God is going to renew all the creation. What God did to Jesus at Easter, what Martha doesn't know is going to happen yet. What God did to Jesus and brought the body out of the tomb and new life he's going to do to the entire creation. That is, that's the Christian hope. In the last day, there's going to be a, a radically different quality of life. We've talked about this before. It's, the, it's, it's what we call the Greek word zoe. You see, there's two different types of life. The life that we currently live is bios. Bios has got an end. Bios is decaying. Bios is where we get the word biology from. Bios is where the cells are breaking down. Bios is what happens when you hit 30. The knees get a bit sore and you just start puffing a bit more when you've got to walk up. That's bios. But Zoe doesn't end. It's always a different kind of life. It cannot end because it's a kind of, of life that, that God gives and it's a kind of life that God is. An eternal life. And, and I love, I've, I'm, I'm sure I've used this one. I love the way that C.S. Lewis says, the spiritual life which is in God from all eternity, which made the whole natural universe is Zoe. 
Bios has, to be sure, a certain shadowy or symbolic resemblance to Zoe, but, but only the sort of resemblance that there is between a photo and a place, or a statue and a man. A, a person who has changed from having Bios to having Zoe would have gone through as big a change as a statue, which changed from being as carved as stone into being a real person. And that is precisely what Christianity is all about. The world is a great sculptor shop. We are the statues. And there is a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. From Bios to Zoe. That's Jesus' promise and his present reality to us that I've come. That you might have Zoe and Zoe to the full. And it's this life that can't be touched by death. It's a life that has no impact by death. And so this, this resurrection is not just a, a future certainty for us, but it's a present reality. It's something that we as Christians live out of. And here's the funny thing. It, is, it, is, it means that Christianity is not an addition to your life. Christianity is not something that you just take up. Christianity is not an extra set of rules that you do. Christianity is not a set of beliefs that you've got to adhere to. Christianity is an entirely different kind of life altogether. From bios... Let me ask you, have you got that kind of life tonight? Is that kind of radical power from the outside coming in and transforming you from the inside out? Is there anything radical going on in your life? Because a, a, a Christian is not only someone that's got a new nature, but a Christian is someone that's got a new future. Eternity, eternal life, bios desire, have you got it? The life that he lives. And finally, here we see tonight, it's a promise of life that he gives us a, but we also see the pattern of resurrection. We've been talking this through. We, you know, how, how, do you, how do you get it? You know, here we have Jesus staring the tomb in the face with Lazarus amongst the crying and the wailing and the grieving and the mourning. You know, and the, here's the incredible irony here is that the, the words that he is about to utter is going to be the final straw. The words that he is about to utter are going to begin the downward spiral that will eventually lead to his own death. And in that, Jesus pauses, he resolves and he cries out, Lazarus, come out. And, and some have said that if he didn't preface that with Lazarus and just said, come out, that all the tombs would have opened up and all would have come out uh, at that moment. But he cries out, Lazarus, and in amazement, out he walks. The computer seems to have been switched back on. <laughs> I am the resurrection and the life, says Jesus. And from that point on, two things happened in the hearts of his hearers. Some believed and some conspired. And in a profound word of prophecy, his arch enemy, the high priest, Caiaphas, it says in verse 49 of John chapter 11, it says, Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up and he said, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. And he alludes to the pathway that Jesus Christ would have been walking down. He alludes to the path that he would have been living. Jesus says, I will be their representative. <laughs> In showing the glory of calling Lazarus out of the tomb, he says, I will be the one who will be vindicated and show the pattern of resurrection. Because from that, he says, when I perish, I will perish. He knew the pattern of resurrection. And that is because the pat for the pattern of resurrection, uh, before there can be this life, there must be a death. 
And that's the gospel. He came from the Bethany beyond to the Bethany near. Not the one near Jerusalem, the Bethany near here. He came from the Bethany beyond in the great cosmos and the universe and the equality with God. And he came to the place of danger, the place in which people don't want to know about him, the place in which uh, people were going to accuse him and arrest him. He comes to the place of danger and Jesus risks his life, not just so Lazarus can live, but so that we can live. And all the time, the gospel is not what would Jesus do, but what has Jesus done? <laughs> you can't just get life after death. Uh, that, that'd be like Larry trying to muck around with his grave clothes. You see, once you're dead, you're dead. And then Paul talks about it, that our current life is a spiritual death. We have uh, as much power as Lazarus had in the middle of the tomb to resurrect ourselves. Until someone breaks into your life tonight, unless someone breaks into your life uh, at some point in the future and gives you this life beyond death, then you haven't got it. That's what you know, if you think you're just going to get it, then that's what turns Christianity, Christianity into religion. You just keep adding stuff. Keep trying to try on your, gla- your grave clothes. You need to receive it. Have you got it? Have you received Jesus Christ tonight? How do you get it? Verse 26 is he says to Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that I am the life after death? You get it by believing into Jesus Christ. You see, because here's the funny thing that the Christianity is the faith is is the faith of personal pronouns. As one person said, look, if you say that Jesus was born and he died and he was raised and he ascended and he's coming again, you know what? That doesn't make you a Christian. But if you believe that Jesus, Jesus was born for me, if you believe Jesus died for me. If you believe Jesus ascended for me, then that is the essence of Christianity. Otherwise, Christianity just becomes some sort of moral project in which we try and just make ourselves better. You're just trying to make yourself better. It's religion. What we see is tonight from this passage here is that the one statement changed the course of history and an act of God changed the course of history. An act of history that Stephen Hawking has forgotten to include in his brief history of time because it's just too brief. Death is no longer inevitable in Jesus Christ because of this I am statement that we've heard from him in this passage. And so in that sense, the application is short and sweet for you and I tonight. The first one tonight is that you need not, if you're in Jesus Christ, fear death. For the believer, the time of death becomes far less daunting when we see it in the light of eternity and what Jesus Christ has done in the historical fact of the resurrection. You know what, if someone came to you and said, you're going home to die, and they didn't have a broad Australian accent, and that was the truth, you know what, you would be saying the worst thing that could possibly happen to you is the best thing that could possibly happen to you. Amen? That is the hope that we Christians have. And in that sense, it's short and sweet and simple. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you need not fear death. You can walk out of this place and there is no fear. The other thing is that it says to us tonight, in that sense, that death is not something that consumes us. Death doesn't look so ugly anymore because death is just the dark doorway that is leading into the ballroom. 
The dark tunnel that we're heading down, the tunnel of the footy stadium in which we're going to walk down there and there are no lights and it's dark and it's crazy, but we can see that light at the end of the tunnel, for want of a better word, and we're going to walk out there and there's going to be a, a great crowd of witnesses and we're going, to be, we're going to walk in there with as much cheering and as much uh, bravado as the Queensland State of Origin team is going to get in a couple of weeks' time when they come down here in, in Sydney. Actually, that's probably not the best analogy to use. They're going to absolutely cop it. But um, yeah. <laughs> I want to say to you something tonight. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not, you, can, you can't fear death. Because, oh, death, you've, it's, it's, it's lost its sting. The other thing for us tonight, if we're believers, is we're going to find also what we see tonight is that your literal grave is not the only grave that you need to consider in this world. You see, there are the graves of bitterness, there are the graves of jealousy. There are the graves of greed. There are the graves of fear. There are the graves of addictions. And Jesus, the resurrection and the life, like he did with Lazarus, he stands at the doorway to your grave and he calls you out of that too. There is healing in Jesus Christ. There is the resurrection power in Jesus Christ to call you out of that this evening when you believe in him. And he has the capacity to speak you out of those graves too. I am the resurrection and the life. He spoke it and he lived it. And it's an unshakable truth that changed the course of history. I want to debate the facts. We can go on and on and on, but we are a result. We are the resurrection people. Let's, let's get that down. But when we believe that, when we believe that it's a historical fact, then we better listen closely to the words that Jesus says. And in the midst of that is great news. It's great news for you that are mourning tonight. It is great news for you that is fearing death. <laughs> it's great news for you that are dealing with the pain of losing someone. It's great news because you have hope in the midst of death, the resurrection life. Jesus had it. You can have it in him. Have you got it? If so, how are you expressing it? We'll look at that next week. But in the meantime, let's pray. Yeah, Father, I, I know tonight that there are some who are in the depths of grief at the moment, Lord God, and I pray that uh, your word tonight has spoken to them in a, a profound way, uh, that there is a hope that they can hold on to for those that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Lord, there is still great mystery around it all. We, uh, we just can't begin to uh, cover everything tonight. But Father, I, I just pray for each and every one of us that, uh, that we need not fear death, Lord God. That Father, for us as a church, that we might even... Unlike most of the Western world, we might even dare to, uh, to, to dwell on the concept of death. And in the midst of that, find the great joy that is the hope of the resurrection. The hope that you were the one who brought your son out of that tomb. The hope that was born by a ragtag band of believers who were, had no hope at all. And lived and breathed and ate and sat and were taught by the resurrected Christ. So for us tonight, Father, as a resurrected people... Uh, that means that uh, we operate under a new reality. And there is still a world out there like Stephen Hawking that thinks that uh, we are heading into a black hole, that we're being switched off. And in the face of death, it's something horrifying. It's something terrifying. And whilst death is an ugly thing, Lord God, may we be your people and your agents for hope in a world that needs to hear that there is something greater. There is something beyond. For those that don't have it tonight, Father God, I pray your spirit stirs in their heart. Father God, I, I, I pray that they uh, sense uh, 
who you are and your power in order to bring them out of those graves, the graves of the addictions that they face, the graves uh, of, uh, of greed, Father God, the graves that are gripping our lives at the moment. He has not only the power to speak us uh, out into new life, but, uh, but into healing as well tonight. Lord God. And so, Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his example. And may we continue to live and breathe and rejoice as people of the resurrection. And we pray this now in his mighty name. Amen.